You are listening or watching Real Conversations with Jacob Young. Real Conversations is sponsored by Boys Town, saving children, healing families for over 100 years. Please go to boystown.org to see how you can support the girls and boys of Boys Town. Now, Real Conversations is also sponsored by Next Generation Storytellers, paving the way for young filmmakers, one movie at a time. Now, my guest this week is a very familiar face to CBS daytime fans. He was one of the longest serving cast members in the history of TV's The Young and the Restless. He's been nominated for multiple Soap Opera Digest Awards and has received five Emmy nominations for his work on The Young and the Restless. Now, he's won four Soap Opera Digest Awards and he won the Emmy. For six years, he served as the host of the iconic Tournament of Roses Parade. He's been on the uh, game show host on the syndicated version of The Price is Right and has appeared in the live stage show ad adaptation, The Price is Right Live in Las Vegas. You know him as Genoa City's Paul Williams, but today I'm saying, come on down to Emmy Award winner, actor Doug Davidson. You know what time it is. It's time to keep it real with Real Conversations with Jacob Young. Jacob. <laughs> it's good to see you. Good to see you too. Awesome. Yeah, man. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. How did you get hooked up with Boys Town? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, a few years ago, well, it was more than a few years, about seven years ago, uh, I ended up doing a social media campaign and not realizing it was the same Boys Town as like the movie Boys Town. Uh -huh. and, and it was a really wonderful thing where uh, it was about a praise, like a praise jar for your kids. And because I've got kids and instead of uh, focusing on the negatives that they, you know, that they do, you know, you, you praise them for the good things. So I did uh -huh. this, this social media campaign and not long after that, I was watching Boys Town, the movie. And I went like a light went off. I said, that, that can't be the same Boys Town that I just did that job for. So I reached out to the contact and they go, yeah, we're one in the same. And after that, I've been on a mission to help spread the good word of what they do there. That's awesome. Um all my uh, uh, young adult life, I worked for the uh, YMCA in a camping program and uh, summer day camp, all that kind of thing. And once I got involved in uh, The Young and the Restless, that kind of took a back seat because, as you know, there's uh, very little time for uh, extracurricular activities. And then once I had a family, it was like, yeah, yeah, it definitely consumes a lot of your life being on a, a daytime serial yeah. Monday through Friday. <laughs> yeah, not to mention the homework. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, all that time you have to spend at home, also away from your kids trying to learn your lines. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, listen, we recently lost the legendary Bob Parker. Yeah. And you were one of the hosts of the incredible, successful Prices Right Live on Stage franchise. Did you ever get to meet Bob? And what oh, did you yeah. learn from yeah, watching? He was, well, he's, you know, he was right across the hall from uh, The Young and the Restless. So uh, oftentimes he, he wasn't a big, um, I guess there was some sort of internal struggle when they, they put on an, a nighttime version and it was uh, uh, done by Paramount. So um, nothing, nothing I did, but uh, I, I had to go to him personally and uh, say, look, no threat. It's, uh, I got hired. It's a gig. And, you know, was, so that, was was the, that was the only friction that I had. And the rest of the time he was, uh, 
he was terrific, you know, and all the family feuds we did and, and, uh, uh, you know, the young and the restless versus the price is right. Um, he was delightful. Yeah. So he, there, he was delightful. The whole. That's, that's wonderful. So, but there, he felt there was a bit of a threat with you coming. Well, out. I guess because, um, there was a, a, a segment called the price was right. And, um, it, it talked about, uh, uh, you had to guess the price of something that was like 30 or 40 years old, like a, a Plymouth or a Dodge or a, and uh, in, in the promotion, we said, it's not your father's price is right. And he took, uh, or someone near him took offense to it. But uh, I wrote an apology and talked to him. And after that, it was all, uh, it was all good. Yeah. I'm sure it was probably his manager or his agent going, wait a minute. Yeah. I doubt he saw it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, you know, sadly, soap operas are almost extinct on daytime television. What lessons did working in front of the camera almost every single day for you for so many years on YNR teach you as an actor that most of today's generation will never have the opportunity to learn? Well, uh, there's so much discipline involved in a daytime series. Um, and like you said, it's Monday through Friday and, and Sunday night can very possibly uh, be spent learning, um, you know, 20 to 40 pages of dialogue. And um, I, I think on the, in the onset, when I started in uh, 1978, that it was frowned upon um, as an ugly stepchild to the entertainment business. But truly, it was the infantry, if you were to use that analogy, of the entertainment business. Because uh, in those days, all the revenue from uh, the daytime shows would go to finance the uh, nighttime shows. And, um, and I think actors, serious actors, um, didn't want to um, uh, go into daytime. And uh, through uh, my work during all those years, that that whole thing uh, completely changed. When I started, I thought I'd be there three years, four years, and then move on to something else. And because of the environment, <clears throat> excuse me, with the Bell family, Bill Bell, Lee Bell, um, running uh, not only the writing part of it, but the uh, um, uh, producing part of it, uh, eventually, it became uh, a real home. And um, Bill keyed into to certain players, and uh, he wouldn't let them go. And uh, Jeannie Cooper was one, Eric Braden, Melody Thomas, and, uh, and uh, me. And um, it was uh, a great run for so long. And uh, he was, uh, you know, we had our disagreements, but there was a, a mutual respect the entire 40 years I worked for him. Yeah, well, you've got a, you've got, you've had such a career, and and of course, there's going to be, you know, disagreements. I mean, creatively, we're, you know, on soaps shooting from the hip a lot of the times. You know, it's pumping out episode after episode, script after script, 
and you know maybe getting one two three takes tops on these things so yeah. there's a lot of creative minds at work and it just typically you know from every film set and tv well, show that i've ever all done that, all that changed too because in the beginning they had more money than they knew what to do with so we had these elaborate sets in the 80s and um we easily did uh um six takes if if it was necessary and uh now they'll tape rehearsal <laughs> and and if nobody goofs well we'll take it so you know yeah, yeah and it's, it's totally changed and the corporate influence really and it's not only in daytime but it's in uh in uh um streaming and movies it it and i think if you go online and google this you'll get people like george lucas and and uh, real filmmakers saying that the whole industry changed when it it became part of wall street and the the companies that own the studios are not movie companies. I mean, there's no uh, uh, Louis B. Mayer or people that are really into the the entertainment business. Yeah, it's all it's all corporate, and you know they're pushing for their bonuses, and that is the reality of of what's happening. Yeah, what has happened actually? Yeah, it has happened, and, yeah. and it's 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 a it's a sad place. Um, and speaking of streaming platforms, obviously there's been a lot going on, of course, with the strike and uh, you know all of that, plus the AI thing they're talking about, um, uh, among a multitude of other things. Um, any thoughts on on what's happening with like streaming and and actors being paid, or, or any thoughts on the strike? Well, I guess <clears throat> the thoughts I have, uh, you know, I would be rather. Um, uh, critical of our own union, because um, when I was informed um, at 63 that I was no longer going to be on the, uh, uh, be no longer a contract, contract player, um, the union decided they couldn't uh, afford the senior healthcare program. And I was supposed to be vested, vested twice actually, because you only have um, uh, you only have to work 20 years and meet your qualifications to become vested for life. So they cut out the entire senior program, and Ed Asner was suing them. And unfortunately, you know, he was once president of the Screen Actors Guild, and he uh, he said that he'd stop suing the union once they stopped screwing with uh, the actors. So. I have a really uh, mixed feeling about, uh, you know, the loyalty of our own union, which uh, I have seen sided with uh, uh, the corporations, union people telling me, well, you've had a really good run. Uh, you know, so the support that I expected from my own union did not exist. Yeah. And, you know, that's uh, I, I've got to say there's, you know, that's one of my fears, too. You know, I, I was in daytime for 28 years. Uh, You're vested. Yeah, vested. Or were. Or were. The you stop me and they raised the they raised the minimum to, uh, you know, and, and they cut out residuals. You can't count residuals to it. So really, it's a stranglehold on uh, on uh, your the senior population. It's not fair. No, it's not fair. And another, you know, one of my biggest concerns too is with 
with, with the strike that's going on, I feel like the the 99.9% actors that are out there going, well, I'm not making my money for my health care. And, and then we have people that are in the front lines that are, you know, sold shows for a hundred million dollars or $65 million. And, and, and people that have made their money in, in the industry, uh, like Brian Cranston, I see him on the picket lines. I see a lot of these people out there and I know they're fighting the good fight, but all I feel like it's doing is it's making it that much harder for these actors to even get their health care because now we've stymied it. COVID, COVID screwed that up, and now we're taking all this big break right now. I don't, I don't know how it's going to help them. I, I, don't, I don't either. I, I, it won't. <clears throat> and I think that, that I understand the writers because that is a, a real threat, and I have some uh, very close friends that are successful writers, and, uh, you know, suddenly they stop taking quotes and they, they don't want to uh, they don't want to um, pay for what they're getting. Um, and let's face it, it starts on the page. Um, and if you can't support uh, the writers and what they do, um, that's that's a pity. And to to um, piggyback on the writer's strike to me is, uh, it just shows how weak our union is. Um, you know, and they separate daytime from nighttime. So it's really not an entire actor strike. Daytime people are still working. Still working. You know, so it's not, that's not impacting the, um, their daytime lineup at all. So I don't know. They yeah. staggered the, the contract. So you couldn't double up on them and it, it the idea of it's great. It just hasn't worked out to support the pe the membership. Yeah, and I, understand I remember there are so many actors in the union that aren't working. So, and you know, it's it's the first time they're in the spotlight when they get to hold a picket sign. Right. But really, and, and it's, I, it's, go ahead. I felt like you know I I'm seeing all these like posts on social media and I feel like they're actually using it as a social media to get their numbers up versus standing there for actually doing their due diligence. They're like, uh, yeah, I'm on the picket line. Look at me. I'm going to put this on my Instagram. We had, we had actors. Um, there was a discrepancy in our um, uh, residual pay. And uh, we had actors that uh, went and, and uh, discussed it, complained with the union, and they came through with um, – um, uh, a settlement. We all got big checks, and this was like, oh, I don't know, eight years ago. And then one of the actors that uh, complained was removed from our uh, our our uh, our show temporarily, but still, it was uh, a, a message. And then you know we haven't seen residuals like that since. There was no penalty for holding on to the money for. Uh, a number of years so we we got what they fought for but it didn't continue and they didn't you know you don't pay your taxes you're going to pay a, a percentage uh, of interest on the money that you haven't paid when you finally when you finally give a check so i don't know it's um yeah it's, it's probably like it's, this in a lot of places but i would imagine i i remember you know years ago uh when you know chris pine's dad was running after a and was working on trying to get the unions to combine. And, uh, and it was just, it was, you know, it, it was long overdue. Right. And then they, they we, we finally joined 
we bailed them out basically sag which most people don't realize that that they were going bankrupt and they needed the money you know they say it's one union but during COVID, i was trying to call them about several different things and they're like oh, no, no. yeah well they're like oh no no you're calling the wrong office this is sag you're after i'm like i thought it was one union yeah <laughs> well the retirement part is is separate because um and i think that's the one thing they did do correctly is that we've all paid in to aftra as daytime performers and and sag was uh was running belly up yeah so um you know to separate that i think was was one of the key checkpoints that uh enabled after voters to vote from um, um a merger without worrying about losing their retirement yeah what's your feeling about the ai portion uh, well I, I read an article today where someone is nominated for a Grammy with a, a song that was written by AI. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's really hard to wrap my brain around um, because I can't imagine a machine coming up with, but it has so much input that some of the things that I have seen with, uh, you know, write me a six page uh, report on this or that. And it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's it's pretty. Legit. So I don't know. I'm I I could I I wonder if it is possible to go write me an action film starring Ar Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, see what it comes up with, and then you know, no writer fee, no residuals, no. You know, it's I I could see that happening in the future. Yeah, and I I see another side of it too, where not only for the writing portion. Now, I'm probably going to get crucified for saying this, but as a producer and have also been in front of the camera for so many years with the actors now holding out. And I mean, I've seen some of these AI animations of actors. You know, you've seen Arnold Schwarzenegger's face on another actor and doing right. another scene. OK, so that's possible, right? Yeah. And if if I was a studio head, and I'm going, wait a minute, the generation, like my kids' generation, they don't care so much about names. I mean, they'll watch an animation, they'll watch anything that entertains them. I would be like, so I don't have to deal with a Meryl Streep's manager anymore. I don't have to deal with the agents anymore. I don't have to get three trailers for them anymore. You right. know, suddenly all that cost expense and the headache goes away. And now, you know, they can create a Kate Winslet, Meryl Streep hybrid that right. suddenly is acting. And your kids are used to watching it on their phone. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it's a tough call, but, you know, yeah. I just feel like rich fighting the rich never works out. And I feel like if they press the studios too hard, there could be some repercussions. Oh, I think, I think definitely. I think, and I think they have a stranglehold on it. They, uh, I mean, I've seen it firsthand. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, my way or the highway. And, you know, that's, uh, uh, you know, it, it was a, um, I mean, personally, I had a couple tough years because between 63 and 65, I couldn't take retirement or I couldn't um, uh, get social security. So, I mean, I had to juggle and, and mess around and you know looking for health care at 
at that age is not the easiest thing to do. And sure. the, the help that you get from uh, uh, the union was suspect. Um, so it was it was it was a scrambling period of uh, of my life. Yeah. So I don't know. It, I can uh, I can completely relate. I I went ahead and yeah um, you know since I've been off of daytime you know I've I've been working I work on different film projects and whatnot but to get healthcare through my own union it was like they were making it ridiculously tough to get so yeah. I just went and shopped for different premiums and and went a different direction. But it still it, it still costs you more than it, it would have in the in the uh, days days prior. Sure. Um, and they've they've changed it because I don't know they're not making enough money or. But you know, to cut out, you know, the, the first twenty years, I didn't use it at all, and I was paying in for the the idea that when I did need it, when I was older, that it would be taken care of. So I mean, that's a big carpet to rip out from under your feet. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, mean, I think I, I, I could add it up and go, wow, that in the bank would cover more than what I need now. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's crooked. It feels crooked a little bit to me uh, what they're doing. Um, now, Doug, he recently left Young and the Restless after an extraordinary career. Um, what made you make that choice or what happened? Well, we had a we had a um, uh, producer that came in and uh, uh, I, I think he was just a tool of. Uh, uh, upper management from not only CBS, but Sony, and they were looking at uh, numbers. So um, they decided to take me off contract, as I had mentioned, you know, at 63. And um, they said, well, this is a direct quote. I could, uh, we could use you on a recurring basis, or I could hire some, uh, some plank. I'd rather I'd rather hire somebody the audience knows, and we don't have to let anyone know about this. And um, I was caught completely off guard. Um, I mean, after it was four months before my 40th anniversary. So um, not that it doesn't happen to a lot of people in uh, uh, other industries, because it does. Uh, but I was uh, um, shocked. And then they stopped using me. Um, the prior year, I was like, oh, I don't know, 75 shows under my guarantee. And um, I was counting on my vacation pay to um, cover the, the new news, bills and things like that. And they credited my vacation pay against uh, my guarantee. So that that zeroed out. So essentially on January 1st, I had no job and no income. And I was told like the beginning of December. Wow. So um, from there, uh, they were um, uh, using me very sparingly. And uh, about eight months later, in August of that year, I saw a new character in my office behind my desk and people wrote me on social media saying, uh, are you still on the show? And I said, it, it seems like I'm not. 
and the firestorm went up. They, well, they wanted to talk to me and we didn't fire you. We're not, we're not, you know, we didn't, I, I said, well, you stop calling. I'm not working and somebody's in my set. So um, it was pretty bumpy from along. Uh, and then that the following uh, Christmas, uh, he was fired. Mm. And I started to work a little bit and uh, I had uh, personal things that happened like um, uh, early calls, first up and last up. And uh, which usually if you're first up, they'll put you uh, first up on the second stage. So you don't have to sit around between all the other scenes of the day. And um, uh, I had a scene with uh, uh, Eric Braden. Um, and uh, they had us come in at seven o'clock. And for me, that's a four o'clock morning because I'm, I'm two hours out of L.A. And I knew that we weren't going to go on before 2.30. And I, they made me jump through every hoop um, to uh, get a later call at 9 o'clock. And I arrive at the studio at 9 o'clock, and Eric's not there. Hmm. And so um, he obviously knew what was going to happen. And uh, they made it much easier for him to come in later at noon. Then, so every time I had uh, issues like that, they made it very difficult. Mm. So I really got the impression that uh, they didn't want me there. And uh, it was too much stress and uh, emotional baggage for me to face all these. Uh, there were so many people there um, with larger egos than their contribution. So, you know, changing a line was a... Uh, uh, and an act of Congress, and it just became uh, more difficult than it was worth, personally, emotionally. And uh, so uh, I stopped, I think it'll be three years ago in October. And, um, you know, it's a revolving door at the, the quasi top of the show. And um, so I always, I always, um, held on to the fact that, well, maybe one day. And um, uh, nothing, uh, the, the, the uh, environment at CBS changed. They've got a wonderful woman there that's um, uh, running the daytime portion of the show. Uh, really nice, her heart's in it. And uh, I totally respect her. And then our uh, head writer is uh, committed to, uh, the show too, but it nothing changed from uh, um, Sony. I see. So um, I chose that, you know, I had a good run. I've got uh, some incredible memories on the show and um, it, it, uh, it was certainly um, uh, a, a big decision on, on my part. And finally, um, they uh, uh, said, well, you still have stuff in your dressing room. So I went to clean out my dressing room, I think uh, the end of July or the beginning of July, somewhere in there. And uh, it, was, it was kind of eye-opening. CBS has sold all their uh, real estate, BlackRock in New York, uh, Radford in the Valley, 
and CBS Television City. So it's owned by a different entity and they're renting. And um, it used to be the Tiffany Network. It was the most incredible, well, you've worked there. So yeah. it was the most, the nicest dressing rooms, the, the best facility uh, in the industry really yeah. for television. And, um, and it isn't, it needs paint, needs cleaning. Um, the commissary is closed. Still uh, closed. Price is right is moved. Yeah, I mean you can get barbecue or something for breakfast, or but it's not, you know, it's not like it used to be. Yeah. And um, Price is Right is now in Glendale, I think it's Glendale. Um, and uh, I, I cleaned out my dressing room. It looked like uh, a. a a, a dorm room at the end of spring break. It was just ravaged. So um, it was really sad, very emotional. And, um, uh, but it was easier to close the door after seeing the reality of what it is today than it, it would have been, uh, you know, six years ago. Yeah. Uh, I know firsthand how that feels um, I mean, you have a lot more years at CBS, um, but of course, you know, working on Bold and the Beautiful for off and on for as many years as I did and, and bouncing around, I too was uh, presented with the, you know, working as a, uh, uh, you know, base, you know, just part time coming in. And I was, I just told him, I said, if you're going to offer me that, I'm not, I'm not sticking around. Um, and I get it. But I also would spend days on days and weeks on weeks worrying about where is when is the next script coming through? Right. A am I still working? What what is going on? And my my heart was like I was having anxiety attacks. Yeah. I guess my my question for you is after cleaning out your dressing room and after having that, does it feel like closure? Do you feel like you're, you're a little more relaxed now? Um it's, 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 it, 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 the difficult part was three years ago until I cleaned out my dressing room because there was always the potential of maybe uh, coming back or them changing uh, uh, their, their uh, approach to me or, and uh, they tried. I mean, CBS tried uh, and Josh Griffith tried, but, Sony didn't try at all. And that was my sign. So, um, you know, you and I were in a different position because I was 63 when it started to disintegrate and you are, are, are not, you've got a family or something. I mean, my kids had gone. Um, uh, so I, I, I suffered the same anxiety. I had to, I had, nightmares of uh being called on stage and not being able to find my script um and not not knowing a, a line in my head i mean so a lot of those things bubbled up during uh, uh during the time between what was it uh, uh 2000 i think it was 2018 and and when i cleaned out my dressing room uh, um, two months ago so yeah, it, it's, it's a mind bleep. <laughs> well, I think 
and this is my opinion, but I feel like it's the opinion of a lot of the fans that are out there and a lot of uh, also daytime veterans who have been in the industry for decades. I feel that the networks, by taking away these characters that have been inside of homes for so many years, or whether it's a you know production decision, is an absolute travesty and a mistake because the audience is not getting any younger. And no. We're not adopting any new fans. So they need to go with the people that they know and that they've respected and watched. And that's the reason why they watched. So I, it's their loss, Doug. And uh, I really, uh, you know, I've enjoyed watching you for so many years. You're truly like one of the nicest guys and not to mention nicest guys, but talented, nice guys in the industry. And they're far and few. Right back at you. I mean, honestly, I don't do showbiz stuff. And the only reason um, I'm doing this is out of respect for you, your kindness, your your uh, uh, devoted family guy. Uh, I, I, I honestly, it's right back at you. I appreciate. I, that. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell your your people something that um, there was a restaurant near CBS. This is something I've never forgotten, and it was uh, Maggiano's, an Italian restaurant. And we go over sometimes for lunch and I was sitting by myself and I had a, a, a chicken a Caesar or something like that. Nice tea. And I went to pay and you apparently had taken care of the bill. And I just thought that was the most incredibly kind thing. Uh, anybody without any reason um, uh, had, had ever done. It was, it touched my heart. And I, I think I tracked you down and called you after and thank you. But it was uh, uh, such an incredibly kind gesture. Oh, man. You know, it's, it was my pleasure. And, and look, you know, I, I think we all, every once in a while, uh, we, it's necessary to do things like that just, just for no reason. It doesn't require a reason. It's just, you know, um, it was really my great. pleasure. And, and, you know, people have done that for me over the years. So, I, you know, I just like to pay it forward. Yeah, it was really touching well thank you very touching um how's your family oh family's good my son's in high school now he started high school this year which is kind of crazy <laughs> all all of those uh hormones and things are changing and he's yeah. well, he's really kind of finding himself the girls are are great my my daughter I, i'm gonna brag on her for a second which i haven't done uh my 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 oldest daughter who's in the fourth grade she's recently uh in, got in the gifted and talented program and she's she's in the top of south carolina but she's also in the top five percentile in the united states so oh, wow she's like a little savant she's a super smart little girl and couldn't be prouder uh than that and, and teach her how to do your taxes but i always think about that i'm like well when i'm old what is she going to be doing? And is she going to be the one taking care of me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. Oh, great. So you're raising your family in South Carolina? Yeah. Yeah. We're in Charleston. Okay. Yeah. Hey, that's fabulous. Yeah. We were in Utah for a while, but I sold the place out there during COVID. And my in-laws are on the Eastern board. They're a little further North, but uh, we just wanted to change it up and, and do something different. And once I got down here, it was just nice. People are nice to each other. They yeah. they say sir and ma'am, and they always say uh -huh. hello. And if you don't say it first, they're going to say hello to you. 
before you get a chance to. Uh, it's it's just I like that kind of friendliness. You could be buying salads down there by cra like crazy. <laughs> yes, I could. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's that's true. How do you find working in Hollywood living? Uh, is it is it more difficult for you there? Uh, no, actually, it's not because, you know, when once well, Zoom was always in place, right? It, it was before COVID, at least it was happening. But then COVID happened. And, you know, that we we were already doing self tapes and auditioning and when you weren't right. available. And then once that happened, of course, all the casting offices that they're they're no longer actual physical addresses so you don't even meet with a casting director unless you get a call back now so it was like well there's no reason even to be in hollywood or even in new york and a lot right. of my fr friends have followed suit um a good friend of mine just moved to austin texas i got a lot of friends that are all they moved all over the place but the good thing about charleston is i'm not far away from atlanta and atlanta obviously is a big production uh right. mecca many 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 of the shows that are that people see that a lot more than they realize are shot in atlanta and the cool thing is about that is i would never get auditions for um reoccurring characters very seldom it was always for the lead of a show which you know i was probably priced out of anyway by other you know bigger actors and that was never going to probably happen just be for namesake reason and the one thing that i found is I've, i'm actually going for those arcs and the reason why that's happening is because the Atlanta stronghold down there is you're not going to have any supporting characters or, or uh, you know, any kind of season arcs being cast out of Los Angeles. They have right. their associate casting director down there in Atlanta. And so if you're local hire, you, you know, you're going to get the job, which is exactly what happened when I did a couple episodes of the walking dead last year. And, you know, I was, I just happened to be local hire and 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 got on that show. So it's it's uh I don't know, it has its pluses and minuses, but yeah. I feel like for me, I mean you're in Santa Barbara, which is a beautiful place, but like in the Los Angeles basin for me, it was I was never happy living there. I grew up on a, a big ranch in Washington and I just like to have a little bit more space and a little bit more friendly nature around me. And I feel like LA, as you know, growing up in the industry there. Um, can be oh, a little yeah. jaded. Well, we moved up here um, 30 years ago, and it was really so uh, my kids didn't have to uh, be raised in Los Angeles. But that also meant that I'm driving 87 miles to and 87 miles from um, <laughs> the studio. So I have a PhD in freeway, freeway driving. Um, <laughs> I had, I had between soccer which my daughter uh did quite a bit and working i had uh uh three cars with over two hundred fifty thousand miles on them oh my gosh <laughs> wow well at least they at least they were running yes thousand miles that's quite that's that's a lot yeah that, it was crazy <laughs> it was really crazy so let me ask you douglas just going back to the acting stuff i mean when when did you get your acting bug and how did it start? When did I get my acting one? Your bug. Like, how did you get oh. the bug for acting? And um, well, I think I was born that way. Um, and the 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 honest to God truth is, I had a hat box, and it was the beginning of uh, um, television, really, uh, as as we know it. Episodic shows like. Uh, uh, 
uh, Whirly Bird and uh, uh, Sky King and Sea uh, 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 Hunt, uh, Combat, um, and I, I and and I had uh, a hat box, and I had hats from uh, you know World War II and the Civil War and any anything you can think of as you know the beginning of the space program. And I was fascinated by all those things. And um, uh, of course, I, I wanted to be an astronaut. I, I wanted to go to war, but I didn't want to, I didn't really want to go into space or be shot at. So, um, well, <laughs> I don't blame you. So, um, when I was in uh, about to enter high school, my sister uh, was a model with Anita Blanchard Agency. She's, and she suggested, why don't you take um, an acting class uh, as your elective? Uh, I think electives at that time were like wood shop, metal shop, and you know, and I would get a dustpan or uh, a nut bowl, and I decided to go into uh, uh, the acting class. And uh, my best friend at the time and I then jumped in both feet. And, uh, you know, anytime there was a play, we'd try out and, you know, I'd either get the second lead or he'd get the lead or I'd get the lead and he'd get the second lead. And um, it just uh, and I said, OK, this is how it's going to work. And uh, I went uh, when I finished high school. I went to Occidental College and uh, there was so much academia involved in, in that and and not as much, uh, uh, well, let me say the acting aspect there, you had to wear a black turtleneck and be a little uh, beatnik-like. So um, I I dropped out of school. I went to Cal State Northridge and took um, sailing, fencing, and speech and diction, uh, which were all fascinating and fun classes. And then I um, uh, quit and uh, jumped into it full-time, taking acting classes at night, driving taxi, and then uh, waiting tables. And it was, oh, I'd say five or six years of struggling until um, I got little bit parts and then finally landed a recurring role in The Young and the Restless. And then uh, the show went to an hour, they signed me, and you know, the rest is, uh, is history. I was... Uh, uh, friends with Mark and Victoria Lambert. Um, so when you talk about destiny, I was in a, uh, I was driving taxi, which I started at five o'clock at night, five o'clock in the morning, think, thinking that I would have time for interviews, which, you know, you'd wake up at two and eat and go back to work again. So that didn't work out at all. But I was taking a Taekwondo class where I met uh, Mark Lambert, Victoria Mallory's husband, and uh, 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 a guy that ran a local restaurant. And um, so I started working in the restaurant. I uh, became friends with uh, Mark. And as a favor, uh, I gave him a ride down to the studio. And John Conboy came out, met me, and I think two weeks later contacted me to uh, read for uh, uh, the role on The Young and the Restless. Uh, just one name, Paul. I took my sister and my best friend Rick Springfield down because I was scared to death. And I thought I blew it. 
and uh, got a call on a Sunday night saying uh, uh, I had to come in on Monday and uh, for a wardrobe fitting and rehearsal. And that was the, that was the start of, uh, you know, 40 plus years of uh, acting on, on daytime. Wow. It, it's interesting now, the sun is moving into my, um, it's interesting. It's interesting now that um, this is the first time in my life when I haven't had to look like a character. Uh, I mean, not a character, but uh, a character in a, in a production. So that's the other thing that was kind of, uh, you know, who am I? What do I look like? How do I uh, present myself? Um, what, how are you going to spend the, the next, um, you know, the rest of your life? How many years that that's going to be? So that was another thing that was was new to you. Still working on. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I can totally relate to that because you know, for the first time in my life, I was able to grow my hair out and grow a beard and like. Right. I, I was, I was like, I couldn't have been happier. My wife's like, are you going to cut that thing? <laughs> like, Hell no, I'm not going to cut that thing. Yeah. I haven't had been able to do this. Right. Uh, <laughs> but aside from, you know, good looks and talent, which you have plenty of both, what personality traits helped you the most in having a successful career? Um, I think deep faith and, um, sense of humor yeah so um and and not always in that order because you know i can't i i won't say that i never panic um but somehow it's always uh it's always worked out it it uh you know you, I, you can say you're born under a lucky star um but really, I think it comes from deep faith that you know that everything is going to be fine. I had actually, I had a uh, a dream. I think it was, I call it a dream, um, but it was around the turn of the century, around 2000 or something. And I was sleeping in my bed and uh, up until this point, you know, I, I really hadn't been, I like to say, tested in the, in the hardest sense of the word. Um, I, I grew up in a family where uh, uh, I had both parents supporting uh, all three kids, uh, loving family. Uh, they helped me in uh, all the way through school and college. And if I needed financial assistance, they were there. And at this period in, in my life, Bill was uh, stepping down. I think he retired in 97. And I had this dream where I was lifted off uh, my bed and I, I felt like I was um, levitating. And I'm going to try and remember it as best I can. Um, and I was seeing this cave and the, the rock blew off the cave and all this smoke came out. And I thought, wow, uh, well, if I'm going to be devoured by demons, I have no regrets. I've, I've lived the best life I knew how. 
uh, under all, all the circumstances that uh, I encountered. And, um, and suddenly the smoke stopped. There was a screen that uh, appeared uh, in front of me and it was, uh, it had the face of a teddy bear, which as you know, a teddy bear is comfort. Um, and I heard this voice saying, everything is going to be fine. And it kept repeating, everything is going to be fine. And I was lowered onto my bed and I woke up and I had tears in my eyes. And um, it didn't seem like a dream to me. It seemed like uh, a message. I don't know what you believe in, but this would come under the heading of uh, the Holy Spirit or, or whatever uh, uh, external power exists. Um, and uh, I never forgot that. Uh, and from that, uh, you know, we had uh, work issues. We went through executive producers. My mom got a brain tumor, passed away in uh, uh, 05. So essentially everything that I hadn't experienced in the first half of my life was coming um, pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. But through it all, um, I, I remember that uh, that dream, and uh, uh, I we had my mother here, and she lost her ability to speak, and she would mumble like she was making sense, um, like yeah. and I'd say, I'd yeah. smile and say yes, and then she'd grab my hand and she'd go. I love you. Oh. So those are the only three words she could she could say in the last uh, few weeks of her life. Oh. Um, and my dad lived for uh, uh, nine years, ten years after. Uh, he also lived here with us, which put enormous strain on my wife because she was raising kids and uh, had to deal with that as well but um it all worked out yeah um and uh i guess that's the uh uh so anybody that tells me they don't believe in god or you know i've seen it so it's um it's not something that uh, uh I, I i doubt i mean you can doubt how it's going to work out or what you have to go through or um but I think that uh, with uh, you just need to, it's an old phrase, but keep the faith. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your spiritual journey. Sure. Now, I mean, you know, it's what happened. <laughs> let's say you're having a bad day. What? what? You, let's say you're having a bad day. What do you do okay. to reset yourself? Uh, uh, just that I have, uh, uh, I think quiet time is, is really important. Um, and, uh, again, re rekindling that, uh, you know, the, all the phrases that you hear, it's always darkest before the dawn or, um, 
and it has been uh, there. There is so much out of your control. So the fact that um, um, that it requires uh, uh, focus and reminder that uh, you know their their power is bigger than you are, and uh, whether through it, uh, you know, golden rules, all the things that uh, we used to be taught as kids. Um, you know, that uh, people don't always consider important when you're raising children. But I think it is. Gratitude is incredibly important. Understanding the gifts you have. Um, and so when you when you hit a bump in the road, you're not alone. And I think that's the that's the biggest thing that, uh, you know, and I have I have a, a wife that is, is, you know, from my perspective, second to none. She's the, always been there for me, understanding uh, the difficulties. She was an actress. Um, so there are, are so many things that uh, uh, I've had even in the worst of times. Yeah, that was one thing I was going to ask. You had a long, happy marriage, two kids. What lessons did you and your wife want to instill in your children? Oh, um, I guess... Uh, again, it, it comes to um, following your dreams, uh, and it seems impractical sometimes. Uh, but my kids live in faraway places now, and um, it's been incredibly hard on my wife because of COVID. We haven't we haven't seen my daughter in two years, and I don't think I've seen uh, my son in six. He's in uh, uh, living in New Delhi now. Oh wow. Uh, and my daughter lives in London. Um, she is uh, married and has a, a composer husband, and she's a violinist. So, I mean, she's working her tail off. Uh, and then we thought about in, in discussion about her path. Um, and she uh, started the violin at like three and a half with a teacher who just instilled the joy of music. Uh, she had a penny whistle class. Uh, she did not teach uh, a lot of the fundamentals and basic form that you might want to be exposed to at that age. Uh, so she had to switch teachers. She had horrible teachers um, for uh, 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 destructive uh, teachers and uh, teachers and coaches um, because they were always out for themselves and not for the kids. Um, and uh, this was a, a, a hard time for her. She went on to uh, homeschool and uh, finished her, her high school degree at City College while commuting to L.A. to the Colburn Center, where she had uh, a teacher there by the name of Dr. Yoon, which helped her immensely. Uh, he had a camp up here. She met uh, Beaver Gitless. Um, who was a world-renowned violinist. They hit it off. He introduced her to uh, uh, a man that taught at the Music Academy, um, and uh, she did that for two years. She went to uh, uh, it, we went to Europe uh, and went into the Royal College of Music, where she interviewed and and played a, a piece for the um, head of school there. Asked her to come back in November. She got in. So, I mean, these are all things that are 
on first glance, impossible. So it's really working through it and, and staying positive and knowing that it's going to work out one way or the other, whatever, whatever it may be. It may not be your first choice, but something will work out. Somebody you meet. I mean, I look at the three things that got me on The Young and the Restless for 40 years. I mean, it's beyond my control. Yeah. So you, you've got to just give in to the fact that it is beyond your control and you need to, uh, and it's not, you need to be ready when you get there. Yeah. But you can't know what's around the corner. Yeah. That's great. That's, advice. Sometimes it's, it's not easy to understand that you can't see around the corner. Yeah. I've always had that feeling of, it's, it's going to work itself out one way or the other. It's going right. to work itself out. It always has, hasn't uh -huh. failed yet. You know, <laughs> you can get down in the dumps, but uh, there's always, there's always something like you said, around the corner. Yeah. Well, I mean, who would have imagined, you know, 15 years ago that you were going to live in South Carolina and still be in the entertainment business. I mean, that just wasn't a possibility. Yeah. It wasn't even, yeah, you, you had, had a vacation home, but unless you were a star by then, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. Uh, Doug, all my all my guests, they take a ride in the Jacob Young time machine. If you could go back to when you were a kid or a teenager, what advice would you give yourself? Well, you know, here again, uh, I, I don't think I'd have to give... Um, myself advice because somewhere along the line I had a mentor or a, a, a camp director or a, a parent um, that was able to a teacher uh, able to hold my hand and address the pitfalls that uh, you have when you when you grow up and I was lucky enough to have those uh, adult role models uh, in my life, uh, family, of course, but then, uh, you know, uh, camp counselors or directors or uh, someone, someone always came up and held my hand and got me through it. So I yeah. guess, again, the advice that I would give my older self is the same thing that um, believe. You know, my daughter and I have this thing with uh, Peter Pan. It's faith, trust, and pixie dust. And <laughs> those three things, um, you know, the pixie dust is, of course, the intangible that you can't always uh, uh, measure. But uh, it's, you need a little pixie dust along the way, as, as well as faith and trust. Now, this is uh, my last question for you. And... Um, everybody also on the podcast always, you know, gets this question and you've been so open. So I, I, I don't want to feel like I'm repeating myself, but my sponsor boys town, their motto is he ain't heavy. He's my brother. Um, and it goes back to the beginning when father Flanagan was alive and there was young boys that were around that they couldn't, you know, couldn't get all the medical equipment for. And one kid, 
you know, he didn't have crutches. So the boys would take turns carrying him to class or carrying him to football games or carrying him to assemblies Christmas time. And one day father just looked down to him and he said, isn't he heavy? And he said, he's not heavy father. He's my brother. Meaning in our lives, we've always had, or we've had people carry us. Who's carried you, Doug? Oh, well, first of all, Father Flanagan's still alive because yes. I, I see him live in you and uh, in uh, in Boys Town. So um, my parents carried me. My wife has carried me. Uh, Mr. Bell, Lee Bell have carried me. Um, my uh, sisters on occasion. Um it's, uh, you know, I've had, I've had enormous support. Uh, Wes Kenny, uh, in, in professionally, what a jewel of a man. I've, I've had people carry me the whole time. It's, it, it, you don't get through this alone. Uh, I've had uh, support from castmates. I'm, I'm handheld here because uh, the sun is moving in, <laughs> but, um, you know, from, um, Eric Braden, Melody Thomas, Jeannie Cooper. I mean, it just doesn't end. And it always, it always happens in time. And uh, um, Rick Springfield, who's been, uh, and uh, another uh, friend of mine, uh, Mark James, uh, two guys that uh, um, have always been incredibly supportive and, uh, and helpful. So, and I'm not the easiest guy to get along with. I mean, I'm moody and all that stuff. Sometimes I didn't return calls or, you know, I don't know. But uh, it's always been, they've always been there. And I've, I've tried to do that. Now that I have more time, um, it's, uh, it's easier to return the favor to, uh, answer the email or, uh, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time uh, volunteering with uh, uh, my church, uh, trying to excite a youth group coming from, uh, you know, most of the congregation is 70 plus. So I'm one of the youngsters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, some fabulous people there, too. So, um, yeah, I'd have to say there's never been a shortage of people. And I think, I think, you know, I've never had, um, I've always sent love out. So, uh, but I, I first understood what it was to receive it. And uh, it's much easier to send it out when it's coming in. Yeah. It takes an army. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, the, uh, I mean, you can call it the spirit, but you know, for somebody like father Flanagan to, when did he pass away? How long, how old is the story? It's in like, mid forties, right after yeah. the war. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, Pretty impressive. Yeah. His work was impressive. Yeah. 
I'll have to share some stories with you. Uh, I've learned a lot about him and visited the campus many times. And uh, the work that's being done there is exactly the work that he would have wanted. And 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 it continues. So it's pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah. No, it, it, it really incredible. Well, Doug, I want to just say thank you so much for spending time with us today. And uh, it meant so much to me. And I know it's going to mean so much to the fans. I really appreciate you opening up about your journey and all the great advice, you know, life lessons and everything that we talked about today. And of course, wishing you and your family continued success. Same, same uh, here. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I already know that uh, you'll be great in whatever you're planning to do next. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Could be sailing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jimmy Buffett has, has left a hole. Yeah, it's, it's wide open now. He's got to take the helm. <laughs> That's about all the time we have for this week, but the Boys Town toll-free national hotline, 1-800-448-3000, is a 24-7 crisis resource and referral number for kids and their parents. And they're always there to help anyone having suicidal thoughts, risking any type, type, type of self-harm, parenting problems, physical, sexual, or emotional abuse, stress, anxiety, anger problems, school problems like bullying and peer pressure, and of course, chemical dependency. If you are suffering with any of these issues or you just need someone to talk to, they're there for you 24-7. So call the Boys Town National Hotline at 800-448-3000. Hey, you don't feel like talking? You can text voice to 20121. Someone will get back to you immediately. Boys Town, saving children, healing families. Till next time, love each other and love yourself.